0: we are all students in a constant state of learning at least i hope we are most of us learn something new just about every day one technique used to teach is called contrasts or comparisons the like or the different when we were young we learned the difference between hot and cold clean and dirty black and white round and square fast and slow light and heavy, or light and darkness, right and wrong, and the classic, true or false, all learned through contrasts. Differences teach us to distinguish between objects, truths, before and after. Well, we are in the study of, a, of the book of 1 Corinthians. The city and people of the ancient city Corinth were concerned primarily with having fun, making money, and experiencing pleasure. So much so that prostitution was actually part of their religion. And the Christians, or the the believers or followers of Jesus, stood in stark contrast to that lifestyle that they lived in in Corinth. In the second week of our series, we talked about divisions in the church at Corinth. And each division was caused either by the, the infiltration of Corinthian values, and thoughts that were brought into the church or a retention of previous values that were Corinthian or Jewish in nature. There was a contrast between what was inside and outside. The third week we talked about the polarization of of society, their society and our society, in the area of values and morals. We talked about the normalization of sin and that the, the preaching of the cross seemed like foolish to know, foolishness to those who are perishing and wisdom and power to those who are being saved. Foolishness, power, one of the two. There was a contrast. That we drew a sharp contrast between the two different roads and the two different destinations, the uncompromising difference between the two and the two destinations. Last Sunday, The search for significance, and we looked at how the Corinthian value system had attributed significance and value and worth to certain people, and how that particular mindset had, had infiltrated the church in Corinth. And we looked at how it affects us today. Every one of our messages up to now has dealt with contrast. Contrast between right and wrong, morality and immorality, light and darkness, the world and the church, God-centered values and the worldly values, wisdom and foolishness. And it's critical for us to, to draw contrast as we are students of the Word of God. It's a critical that we understand these contrasts and recognize the differences. When we lose our uniqueness or our differences or our ability to identify differences, we lose our impact and no one can tell us apart from anything else. We get lost on the sea of subjectivity. Jesus said, you, us, we, are the salt of the earth. What good is salt if it loses its saltiness? We must maintain our distinctive flavors. That's what he calls us to do and be. Well, today we're gonna to look at a study in contrasts. Study in contrast. The contrast continues, and the contrast today, we're gonna to look at it between the natural man And the spiritual man. Now, when I'm using the word man, it's used in the generic sense and describes a person or our nature. So it's mankind or or person. So when we talk about the spiritual man or natural man, it's the spiritual person or natural person. We're going to contrast the natural man and the spiritual man. We're going to look at how this contrast affects and infiltrates the church today. And then what are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? We're going to try to look at those three things today. So I'd like you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians. Uh, we're in the second chapter starting with verse 6. It's on page 924 in the book in the rack in front of you. 1 Corinthians 2, 6-16. through 16. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden, that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, No ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. That is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. The man without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual man makes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. All of our actions and attitudes are determined by how we think. And there's a difference between how the natural man thinks and the spiritual man thinks. We just read verses 10 through 12, which says, God has revealed it to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. When when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, when when we are converted, we turn our life over to Jesus, we repent, our sins are forgiven, we become a new creation, creation, and we're under new management. Our nature is different. The Bible says we're new creations. We change radically. We think differently. Why do we think differently? Because God's Holy Spirit takes up residence in our life. Holy Spirit. And therefore, we understand the things of God. We think differently. We act differently. We feel differently about issues. We have a different value system. And it's the Spirit of God who does that in us revealing the wisdom of God and giving us understanding. The transformation is so radical that Paul says we have the mind of Christ. Mind of Christ. In the contrast, with verse, in verse 14, it says a man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God for they're foolishness to him. We talked about this whole thing of foolishness and wisdom and the inability of people who don't have the Spirit of God to understand those kinds of things. They're foolishness. It says he can't understand them because they're spiritually discerned. The natural man rejects what he cannot understand. Cannot understand and the emphasis is on the inability. They just, they just can't understand it. People without Jesus cannot understand spiritual things because they're discerned spiritually. I don't know if you've ever tried to communicate a spiritual truth or some kind of concept to a pre-Christian or someone who is not a believer. They don't know Jesus at all. And it's just like it doesn't make sense to them. It's just, you know, whatever. I don't know if you've I've experienced that where I've tried to share something and I know that the Holy Spirit of God has to reveal it to them because It it sounds like foolishness to them. The natural man and the spiritual man. There's a contrast there. Now, we can't take credit for anything. It's all God's work. There's no room for arrogance to say, I have the spirit of God. No, it's what God has done and given to us so that we can discern spiritual things. There's a contrast so, the, now let's look at, in, in some ways, let's look at the contrast between the natural man and the spiritual man. I just, I just have a few um, examples here, and, and we'll put these up as we go. Um, na- the first one is the natural man has natural wisdom. When you look at the solutions to society's problems, whether it's poverty, broken families, crime, whatever the problem is, the answer is always education, money, legislation, past laws. There's always some kind of physical solution. In contrast to that, the wisdom of God it's a secret wisdom, verse 7 and 8. We speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. There's the cross again. That, this is one of the most incredible statements in the entire Bible. It says if if the rulers had understood, they wouldn't have crucified him. Uh, It's interesting, in Luke 4, verse 40, Jesus is, is doing ministry, and it says, when the sun was setting, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, and laying hands on each one, he healed them. Then it says, moreover, demons came out of many people, shouting, you are the son of God, but he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Christ. Demons were saying, here's the Messiah. They knew he was the Messiah, and he told them not to to speak. So, So you have the rulers of this age. You have the demons, angels of darkness. Even Satan himself knew that Jesus was the Messiah. They knew he was the Messiah. And in spite of that, Jesus stated openly to his followers that he was going to be crucified and rise again on the third day. Remember how many times he, he shared that. He says the Son of Man has to be crucified and I'll rise again the third day. And they just, they didn't get it. It was spiritually discerned. They, they didn't understand. This was also not only hidden from his followers, but evidently from Satan and his rulers or they would have never incited the Jews to crucify Jesus. It was hidden from them. They didn't, they didn't know. They didn't understand. Says they would never have crucified the Lord of glory, which means God's secret wisdom had been hidden and God planned it from before time began. Nobody knew or understood, why? Because it was only spiritually discerned by those who had the spirit of God. Spiritual man. Well, this this is hidden from people today too. They don't understand. That it's about the crucifixion of Jesus. It's about his sacrifice for sin. And his death would bring life. What is the answer? What was? What is the answer to society's ills? It's the cross. Jesus is the answer. Because underlying all human problems and society's ills is something called sin. Sin. We have a heart problem. We're sinners. And God's plan was the cross. Jesus was to die to pay for our sins. And it's that death that sets us free. And had the rulers of this age, those who crucified Jesus, the demonic forces, had they understood it, they would never crucify Jesus because it was their defeat. It was their undoing. That's an incredible truth. Just just grasp it. When you get home today, just read that verse again, saying that they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. The natural, they didn't didn't perceive it. Now, most people even today on this side of the cross don't understand it. But there's there's natural wisdom and there's God's wisdom. Second, for the natural man, the material is important. Material is important. It's what we own, what we can buy, what we see and feel. The focus is on material possessions. On the spiritual man, material is unimportant. The spiritual is more than the physical. It doesn't matter what we own, what we buy or possess. What does it profit a man if he gained the whole world and lose his own soul? The material is unimportant. See, there's a contrast, the natural man and the spiritual man. In the natural man, there's a physical focus, thirdly. Focus on the body, gratifying the desires. Uh, we wanna preserve our body. We wanna keep it from aging. We wanna build it up, beautify it. We wanna go to health clubs and tanning salons, etc. cetera. We wanna live as long as possible. Well, we do need to be good stewards of our physical bodies. We only get one life, okay? We only get one. And we're to be good stewards, but not be obsessed with the physical. Not a preoccupation of the obsession with the physical. I, I, get, I get tired of all these, all these TV commercials about physical treatments for diabetes and skin health and heart health and brain health and weight loss programs and hair products and drinks and foods and cars. and It's all physical. It's all the physical, you know? It's all about keeping this thing going and gratifying this and satisfying that and it's all about the physical while the spiritual man has a spiritual focus he's talking about the internal the heart is the most important the eternal the eternal is the primary focus first timothy 4 8 says for physical training is of some value okay yeah in other words t- paul told timothy it's good exercise physical training that's good but godliness, he says, has value for all things, holding promise both in the present life and the life to come. So the physical is good, and you ought to take care of it, but the future is what's most important. The eternal, it's a spiritual focus. The natural man has a worldview that's man-centered. It's man-centered. God is non-existent or, at the best, irrelevant. It's humanism. Man is the begin-all, the end-all of everything. Everything. Now, if you read the news or watched the news, you discover that one of the most brilliant physicists of all time, Stephen Hawking, passed away this week. And in spite of his incredible intellect, brilliance, as a physicist, he denied the existence of God and he believed that man was at the center still. Humanism, we are the center it's a travesty. Some believe in a cyclical view of life in reincarnation. If you don't get it right the first time, you come back again. You just come back again. If you, and if you really come back at the top, the apex is to become a sacred cow. Okay. Of course, I think that's great because the church is full of sacred cows. And we just, no, never mind. We'll, we'll talk about that later. But the, the human view of 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 hu- how humankind works Now the spiritual view is is that the world view means it's christ-centered Christ jesus is the center of all history he's the beginning and end the alpha and the mega all history is either bc or ad and i i get the kick out of the people they want to change that they don't like it to have bc and ad they try to change that to something else before common time And after blah, 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 whatever it is, instead of, but all of history is either B.C. or A.D. Jesus Christ is the center. Jesus Christ is the center. We believe in a linear view of history. It's not this cyclical view. There's a beginning, a middle, and an end. There's a culmination. There's purpose, direction, and meaning. There's a finish line. History makes sense. I'm reading Daniel, the the book of Daniel in my devotions, and oh my goodness, what, what incredible things to see some of the prophecies that were already fulfilled and some of those yet to be fulfilled. There is a purpose and there's a direction of history. And it's all superintended by God. It's, life isn't like a, a, a track. You run, you run a track, you start here and you run around and you run around and wherever you started, you end, okay? And some people think life is a track. Life is not a track. History is not a track. It's more like a cross country route. You start here and you end there. there. There's a different ending than the beginning and there's a continuation. And it's all B.C. and A.D. And there's a, there's a linear view of history. And the, the natural man likes to think that It's different, but the spiritual man says God is a God of history. History makes sense. The natural man, number five, is pleasure centered. Pleasure centered. If it feels good, do it. The song that asks the question, How could it be so wrong if it feels so right? Of course, sung by Debbie Boone, which is. Crazy because Pat Boone, her father's, was and still is an incredible Christian. Debbie is too. But, but it's, it's looking for pleasure. Whether it's sex, drugs, alcohol, danger, seeking a thrill, whatever that is. The spiritual man is service-centered. Others are more important than my pleasure. There's a, there's a life of service. Life of service and servanthood. You have selfish versus selfless. And of course, there's nothing, nothing crazier than, than describing pictures we take, which are just selfies, selfies, okay, and get a selfie stick, and we take selfies, and we post online. It's kind of crazy. It used to be you couldn't really take pictures very well. Now you can, yeah. Anyway, that doesn't mean if you take selfies, you're, you're corrupt or something. It's, it's okay. Every, it's part of our culture. I've done a few myself. I'm not really good at it. If you see a picture with... My, half my face and part of Judy's. That I took it because it was. A, <laughs> I'm not very good at selfies. The natural man is self-sufficient. Self-sufficient believes he can exist without God. The, the, the spiritual man is dependent on God. There, the, there's the end justifies the means, or the attitudes or motives are most important. There's the natural and the spiritual. The natural man would emphasize liberty moving to license and lawlessness. And the classic example is is taking the freedom of speech and use it to promote immoral things like sex industry and pornography, internet porn, child porn, live porn, sex trafficking. It's the freedom of speech, people. And using that to denigrate God's gifts as opposed to to taking liberty in balance with the laws of God. That God's laws were given for the good of people, relationship with with people, God's top 10. The whole series is about how do we exercise that relationship with God and with human beings. That our liberty, our freedoms were to be exercised in the context of God's parameters. So, why should Paul write these things? That's a question. Why did he write these things? If the Corinthian church is spiritual and rejects the natural man's view and actions, why did he write this and why is it to us as well? Because the church at Corinth was being very subtly affected in their thinking. And we are also very subtly affected by the natural thinking. How are we affected? Let's talk about some indicators of being affected. How how does that thinking from the place in Corinth and in our world out there, the natural man, affect us today? Number one, we have a flippant attitude toward God's character. This is how natural thinking affects and infiltrates the church. You can tell if, if we have a flippant attitude towards God's character. God is holy, God is righteous. How do we approach God? How do we approach God? What do we think about our relationship to God? Do do we really, do we really take God seriously? Seriously. Or do we kind of tack him on the end of our week at a Sunday service? Is Sunday morning a continuity or a correction? Let me explain that. Is it a a continuity? Is it just continuing on with what we've been doing all week? We've been worshiping God in the Word, in contact with God, living in the Spirit. Or is it a correction? Say, oh, wow, I got to, well, it's probably going to be both. Okay, let me just say. It's not wrong if it's both. But sometimes Sunday, or getting together in your connect group. Sometimes it's a continuity of what you've been doing. Sometimes it's a correction and a realignment of where you're going. A realignment, we, we got our car aligned this week and they told me the reason I need alignment is, is all the potholes, but that, that happens. And, and basically when you, your, your car's out of alignment, you start getting wear. It starts wearing and destroying tires if it's, if it's radical. And if we're not aligned, we're gonna be messed up. We're gonna, it's gonna wear and tear on us. The alignment, alignment. Is God the main thing in our lives? Do, or do we begin the day with him and forget the rest of the day? Or do we just finish the day and the rest of it as an afterthought? Maybe we just call on him when we're in crisis. Okay, we're all guilty of that. Okay. Um, come into a come into situation and you say, oh no, we have to rely on God again. You know, it's kind of like, everything's going so great. Now this is coming up, and now I have to rely on God again. Yeah, it's one of those things. It's, it happens. We're not immune from that. Our view of the material affects our spiritual. And we can be taken up with all we see around us, and we forget the unseen and the spiritual. Sometimes we have a flippant attitude, just kind of a trite attitude towards God's character. Or number two, a flippant attitude towards sin. Flipping attitude towards sin, coming from natural thinking. The question is Do we hate sin? Do we hate sin? Do we hate sin like God hates sin? God, God is very strong against sin. Why? Because he wants to rob people of having fun? No, because he understands the destructive nature of sin and how it destroys people destroys lives how the destructive nature just absolutely works havoc in our lives as we look at that now it doesn't mean we hate people but when we look at whether it's something that we do to destroy people or whether other people are doing things to destroy their lives whatever do we hate sin like god hates sin or there's a flippant attitude towards god's word toward God's word. Our value statement number two, and it's in, it's in the uh, top of our program, on page just on the inside flap. It says, we believe the Bible is the infallible word of God, inerrant in the original writings, and is our standard of faith and practice. As such, it is to be communicated in relevant form, informing our entire lives, governing our relationship with God and others. It is both informative and transformative. Do we inform every part of our lives with the word of God do we really seek and and we ought to seek God and how he's speaking to us what he says but do we seek and search the scriptures to see what does God say about this does the word of God govern our relationships with God and with other people God spoke do you really believe that do you believe that do you take that seriously There's a lot of information in the natural man that says, "Ah." spiritual man believes it. Read, study, meditate, let it permeate. Natural thinking affects the church in rationalization and compromise. Rationalization and compromise. The end justifies the means. The end justifies the means. Business owners who pay employees under the table or dodge taxes or uh, practice of poor workmanship. Teachers and administrators who are more concerned about keeping their jobs than rocking the boat. And pastors and preachers who refuse to preach anything offensive, anything offensive, since they're more interested in keeping their jobs than declaring Jesus Christ as Lord. Fearing man more than fearing God. Pleasing man, not pleasing God making it our main concern of keeping the peace or holding on to our job or our money or our house. That's material, material. During a Billy Graham crusade in London, there was a BBC cameraman who laid down his camera, walked away from it, and he walked forward to receive Jesus Christ at the altar. Asked about it later, he said this, I quote, My soul is worth more than my job at this point. (laughs) My soul is more important than my job. It's worth more at this point. How about materialism as a measure of success, number five? Materialism, the measure of success. Not only do we elevate people who appear to be successful materially, we also measure the success of, of our church, or a church by how much money we raise and how great our facility is. Numbers being the measure of success. And we count, somebody said you count nickels and noses. You count money and how, well, how the tendency is. And should we grow and should we have people? Yes, because people mean, need Jesus. And we need, as long as there is anyone that doesn't know Jesus out there, we need to grow as a church. But the measure of success being by money and external views, all those kinds of things. Numbers. Number six, selfish ambition. Selfish ambition. People vying for position or power or prestige. All measured in external terms, of course. External terms. Selfish ambition. James 3.16. I quote James 3.16 almost as much as John 3.16. But James 3.16 says, For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Where you have envy and selfish ambition, you'll find disorder in every evil practice. People with agendas, people with a selfish ambition, and it can happen in any context. Ambitious for God or ambitious for me, you know, they really overlap and say, what is my ultimate goal here? But the thinking of the world comes and infiltrates our minds. Number seven, we talked about this before the normalization of sin. The normalization of sin. Actions once. Th- Unthinkable, gradually gain acceptance and become the norm. That's an indication of the, the, the thinking of the natural man infiltrating and affecting the church. George Barna informs us. He says this, and I quote, In matters of belief, ethics, and morality, there are now no statistically significant differences between the people inside our churches who profess to be born again and the people outside the church. No statistically Significant difference. That's where the natural man leads us. Number eight, loss of passion for the lost. Loss of passion for the lost. How do we know when we're being overtaken by the natural? When we lose God's heartbeat and his view of eternity. His view of eternity. God's lost children needing to be found or or they will spend eternity in a Christless eternity in hell. When they studied the story of the Titanic, they discovered that almost half of the lifeboats, almost half the lifeboats were half full. They had plenty of room for the people that were drowning in the icy waters of the North Atlantic. But to go back and search would have disturbed their peace. And they did not want to risk swamping their own boat to save others. What a travesty. Yet many, many Christians today sit contentedly in their salvation and do not want to have their peace disturbed by people crying and going to a Christless eternity. How natural thinking infiltrates the church. Prayerlessness, prayerlessness number nine. This happens when we focus on the physical world and try to build the kingdom ourselves. We need to understand and realize where the true battle lies in the spiritual and pray and, and conduct spiritual warfare. One of the... One of the great challenges we have as, as church leadership is how, how to challenge people to, to move forward and be progressive and, and to know what to do without relying on methods and church growth methodologies and some of the things and say, this church does that and they grew, this church does that, that works, this works, that works. And so we're going to do that. We need to start with prayer. Jim Simbla who's the pastor of Brooklyn Tabernacle, spoke at a pastor's conference. This was many years ago. I heard him speak. When, and we actually went to visit his church. And, and I was immersed in the church growth movement. They said, these are the things you need to grow your church. And do this, 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 They had all those things. And, you know, so I was studying that. I was working on, started working on a doctorate in church growth, ministries. That, that meeting with Jim Simbla interrupted me and redirected me. Because everything that they said you needed to grow a church they didn't have a Brooklyn Tabernacle. They didn't have any of it. What they had was a prayer meeting. They had a prayer meeting, and they had the move of God. They had praying people. And that church exploded and contradicted every, everything. And he said to pastors, he said, don't do somebody else's vision. He said, you pray. Find God's vision for your church. I tried to practice that. Prayerlessness, prayerlessness. Number 10, a lost sense of urgency. Lost sense of urgency, how can we tell? There were two demons that were holding a strategy session and they were overheard saying, if we can only convince Christians, there's no need. If we can only convince Christians, there's no problem. If we can only convince Christians, there's no hurry. Lost sense of urgency. Urgency. Number 11, non-involvement. Non-involvement. We're just too busy. Just too busy. It's about me. There was a doctor who came home one day and said to his wife, I had a pretty good day. All my patients died, but I didn't get infected. That's not a good day. I didn't, it's not about us. Number 12, selfishness. Selfishness. What can the church do to meet my needs? Now, we exist, we exist for people that are here. Yeah, we're here for relationships and development and growth and discipling and worship and teaching. We're here for all those things. But we exist especially for those who are not yet here. We are already convinced, we're converted. What, what must we be for those who are not yet here? When we think about, about building renovations and making the church, as Andy Stanley calls it, the church for the unchurched, who, who's, who are going to p- feel comfortable coming in? There are some things that we're working on on a, on a building plan to, to work on that. It's much better to have this feel like a living room than a, sanctuary just and, and we're not talking about anything radical drastic or anything. we're not going to bring couches or anything in here but we're talking about how can we make this uh, a really comfortable how can we make the lobby so when they walk in they go wow this doesn't feel like uh, necessarily like a church it's kind of like a coffee shop or cafe or you know there are some things that we want to do to do that but more than that more than that, how do we establish relationships with people so that they feel comfortable coming in? Did you know that over 70% of people surveyed said if they were invited to church, they would come? They would come. And you know what they sense when they walk in now? Love, relationships, coffee, fellowship. There's an awesome atmosphere in that lobby because God's doing something here. That's what they sense. You you know, you can go into a setting, whether it's a restaurant, coffee shop, or something. you can sense if there's conflict or people kind of off kilter or whatever. You can just sense it. When you go in and everybody's having fun and it's just good time and they reach out to you and talk, you know, it's like, wow, this is amazing. Church for the unchurched. There are a lot of things that we can do because it's not about us. It's about them. It's about those that don't know Jesus yet. The natural man says it's all about me. It's the consumer mentality. The spiritual man says it's a servant mentality. Servant mentality. So what are we to do about it? We can probably name some other other indicators. and, And let the Holy Spirit speak to you about other indicators that the natural man thinking has affected you personally or our church. What are we going to do about it? Number one, letter A, recognize the problem. See, we have the mind of Christ. We have the Spirit of God. We're being seduced into the world's natural man's way of thinking. We need to recognize where that happens so that we can say, let the Spirit of God form my thinking and do something different. B, recognize the solution. Recognize the solution. The natural man cannot understand. 2 Corinthians Three, verse three and four. I think that's whatever that passage is. Four, three to four, that's what it is. It says, if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. It says, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The God of this age, that's Satan. The only person that can open their eyes is Jesus. Jesus. How does that happen? We pray we love and you may just need to walk across the room. Walk across the room. Let her see. Repent. As God the Holy Spirit puts his finger on areas in our life that need changing, repent, admit, agree with God. Make the contrast obvious. And then respond. When we discover things as God teaches us and we see these contrasts and say, this is where I am, this is where I should be, this is where our church is, this is where we should be. What do we do? We respond, we recommit our life, renew our mind. We pray, give me the mind of Christ. We live in a country, in a city, in a county, in an area that's no less corrupt than Corinth. We have the same issues that Corinth had. The contrasts are the same. And God has given us true wisdom and truth. And as you know, in the total absence of political power and economic power and affluence and influence, the Christianity totally transformed the entire Roman Empire. In less than 400 years, Christianity became the dominant force for change. Well, that can happen in America again. See, we're, we're called to be a counterculture not a subculture. A subculture means we have our own radio stations and bookstores and own magazines and own this and that. We have our own gathering places. We have our Christian subculture. Well, we can't stay a subculture. We must be a counter culture that actually impacts the natural man in the world. Draw the lines. Make the contrast obvious so people notice the difference. Not in judgmentalism, but in love. The natural versus the spiritual, darkness versus light, error versus truth. Not in arrogance, but in humble acknowledgement of who has real truth revealed by the Holy Spirit of God. And the promise is, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived, but God has prepared for those who love him. Promise. A study in contrast, the Spirit of God In you. The Spirit of God in you. The Spirit of God in you. Making you different. Don't forget. We have the mind of Christ. Let's pray. We are all students.